Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tuesday, September 6, 2022. This is the SipStack podcast here on Substack, read by myself, author Ryan Cipriani. Today's edition is entitled Humble Origins, plus Lee, a satirical response to the works of Robert E. Howard. Now, I do want to start off by saying uh, that, uh, as I so often have in the past, uh, I want to quickly describe what today's hero image is for those of you who are out there just listening and, and don't look at the, uh, the, um, the articles in Substack. The hero image is the cover of the second book in Krogh's saga, The Waning Days of Summer, and it shows our heroes wading out into this murky water in a dark forest to attack a giant monstrous octopus. Um, and again, I point this out only because I reference it in my opening very briefly. So for those of you who have not seen the book cover itself, um, that's just kind of the, you know, the, the idea that I want you to have in your head, um, specifically the forestry part, uh, because I make a cute, side subtle reference. Um, thanks for bearing with me <laughs> during that uh, overly complicated explanation, and uh, let's jump into it. Going back after uh, to work after a long weekend always feels a little disorienting, especially if you've had a really good long weekend and kind of checked out mentally. For whatever reason, that first day back feels like it shouldn't be happening, almost like, oh wait, is this actually real life? Or at least that's how back to work feels today for me. Alack and alas. Happy Tuesday to all my writers, readers, poets, and dreamers. Time to jump back into the waters of storytelling. Wait a second, there are little mushrooms growing on the tree in this image. How have I never noticed that before? Freaking John Hunt, y'all. That man can art. All right, we have writing to discuss. Article 1. The Waning Days of Summer. My initial headlong dive into writing Krogh's Saga. When I officially commenced work on Krogh's saga, the first part of it came bursting out of me in one impassioned 90-day period. I spent three months toiling endlessly at what I envisioned at the time being a big storybook fairy tale. Now, there were only six tales at the time, which function as chapters in Krogh's saga. In reality, by word count, each tale is essentially a long novella unto itself. And this is where I want to impart some learnings from my very messy first draft. First, I did not have the faintest clue about how word counts worked. I was building my tales for Krogh based on manuscript page count. Single-spaced manuscript page count at that, using highly suspect series of fonts. On the page, it looked really cool, but I was quickly hurtling into territory of a work that would, for all intents and purposes, be considered unpublishable. Second, while I had a good idea of what the general main action of the frame story that linked the individual tales together would be, I had no outline. I wrote the first three books of Krogh's Saga completely by the seat of my pants. Now, I don't want this to come across as me excoriating um, pantsing as like a rookie mistake. There's some very well-known uh, authors that we've discussed who are pantsers. Um, George R.R. R. Martin uh, in fantasy, for example. However, Krogh's Saga is at times unbalanced. There are sequences when the pacing flags a bit as I try to figure out where I was taking the story next. Some of this I was able to correct in editing, but I can admit there are a couple slow points in the text as it exists today. And a lot of this is an artifact of not having a coherent uh, outline to keep the main story advancing during some of the side adventures. Further, I realized that critical character relationship development was missing from the initial trilogy I constructed, which led to writing a fourth volume of extended adventures. But this is also where I need to point out my ignorance of word counts. 
I think that if you really uh, read the initial six tales of Krogh as a single document, the story actually flows quite nicely. It was only after breaking them up into individual volumes that I got into some pacing trouble. What's the learning here from the first draft of Krogh's saga, or rather, what would I have done differently? Well, to begin with, the entire saga would have uh, had a cogent outline. The pacing would have been very clear from start to finish. Second, each story volume would have had sub-outlines that informed the larger story, so that their pacing and flow remained consistent without sacrificing the overall. It also would have been easier to keep myself within traditionally accepted word count boundaries going this route. This sounds like a lot of planning, but when approaching a 250,000 word project, which is what Krogh started as, there is a degree of planning required. A quick editorial here, um, Krogh's initial four books would eventually balloon uh, to closer to 400,000 words. And for those of you who uh, are kind of uh, confused about what I mean when I talk about traditional word counts, publications are based on word count, and a first-time fantasy author should never expect to see, exceed 120,000 words as their, their very first published work, um, at least if you're going the traditional publishing route, like through Random House or Penguin or something like that. Um, most of the time, you actually want to keep it closer to 90. In fact, most first-time novels are closer to 70 to 80,000 words. Um, a novella uh, is usually accepted as somewhere between 30 and 50,000 words. Uh, now, th those definitions also then break down into like novella, novelette. Um, it, it gets a little weird, but there are some really good references out there to check out. And uh, even though there is some fluidity in what word counts are accepted as, um, check out just the general guidelines. You'll understand quickly why 250,000 words is an absolutely insane number for a first-time publication, which is what I had originally intended Croak to be. Uh, one final note on this. Outlining this extensively does not have to eat away at organic creativity. Outlines can and should be adjusted to allow for your creative muscles to flex uh, and evolve the story. They should not be constricting, rather a guideline. Writing Krogh as a pantsing experience was one of the most organically creative and liberating writing uh, projects I have ever undertaken, and I love that feeling of freedom. It would have just also been really nice to have a clearer roadmap sometimes. Don't let an outline feel like a boundary, but rather like a rough-hewn trail, or maybe even just a compass. It points you in the right direction, it doesn't force you there. Article 2. Lee as a Satirical Element in discussing some of the motifs and tropes that my co-host in the B-Siders podcast identified, he very specifically pointed to one character, Lee. He remarked that she especially seemed like a pretty full-throated critical response to how Robert E. Howard portrayed some of the women in his work. We chatted about how even the language I use to describe her is sarcastically deployed, um, uh, such as overusing the adjective life. Again, he was not wrong. Lee as a character is a pretty on-the-nose response to the idea of the barefoot maiden in chains motif. She's not especially subtle from this standpoint, but I'll explain a bit. Lee is one of two main heroines in Krogh's series, neither of which really requires any kind of rescuing, so to speak of. Lee is highly trained and gifted in battle and thievery, so much so that she presents as one of many of the foils to the main character. Anything he can do, she can do better. Even this is becoming something of a modern trope, but in Krogh's world, it's actually not unusual. Part of the sarcasm of Krogh himself is how inept he is at the start of his adventure, and everyone around him is far more capable. Lee just tends to be a little more vocal about being better. 
But when it comes to damsels in distress in Krogh's saga, as the King of Wakanda once said, we don't do that here. The further satire of Lee's character is that she never wears shoes and has a background in forced bondage. She is literally the barefoot maiden in chains who rose up, broke free, and still wears that mantle in a highly ironic way. Robert E. Howard's maidens are all too often, with a few notable exceptions, withering, shrinking, delicate daisies who would crumble without Conan's strength to guide them. Lee is none of these things. She follows our barbarian hero about on his adventures, but she is an active participant, not a liability. And in some tales, she is the actual hero of the story. Now, Krog does eventually become the hero, by the way. It just takes several books and a few calamities to get him there. In the meantime, his cohort helps pull him out of the fire, and Lee is a great example. A final thought on Lee. Though her character is written as a satirical response to how women are often handled in fantasy, she herself is not a satire. I'll explain. The construct of her character, what she represents, is a pushback against fantasy tropes. As a character in the context of Krogh, she should not be read as a joke, but as one of the most competent, confident, and capable members of the team. Lee is often a fan favorite, and I think with good reason. Article 3. My Inspirations. Music. Music is really woven throughout Krogh's saga, in more ways than one. In the first few tales, songs play an important role in Krogh's life. He wants to be a musician, after all, and he is an adept harp player and an all-right singer. We see him sing to, uh, to crowds on a number of occasions, and he even sings a cappella to Lee in a very touching early scene. I was listening to music constantly during Krogh's writing period, and I was just coming off a short-lived career in heavy metal. There are inspirations and references abound in his saga. In fact, if you know your heavy metal very well, you can probably divine exactly what I was listening to at the time I wrote certain parts. Irish folk music also played heavily into the mood I was creating. The Chieftain's rendition of the Foggy Dew and Here's a Health to the Company were a whole mood for Krogh's world. Headed in a harder direction and arguably more Irish-inspired than true traditional folk music, going out in style by the Dropkick Murphys got some serious playtime, uh, and their rendition of uh, the Green Fields of France uh, was heavily, heavily utilized during um, funeral, se funeral sequences. Also in heavy rotation were the Neon Knights by Black Sabbath, Through the Fire and Flames by Dragon Force, and Warriors of Time by Black Tide. Whenever I needed to write a battle sequence, I leaned on the soundtrack scores uh, like Clendathu Drop and the Anvil of Krom. The soundtrack for Krogh's Adventures currently stands at almost a hundred songs, totally nearly six and a half hours of music. During the heavy writing days, my days of thunder, so to speak, I would put that playlist on and write straight through from track one to the end of the playlist. Now that's all for today, everyone. I hope those of you who are back to work make a smoother transition than I am. We'll see you tomorrow.